There are many ways people listen to Vision, including in cars through the Vision app. The Vision app is compatible with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. So if you have mobile coverage, you can stream any of Vision's live radio channels in crystal clear quality and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts all on the go. There are other ways to connect your phone to your vehicle speakers too. You can see detailed instructions when you Google ways to listen to Vision. However and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 1, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. John's Gospel is remarkable, singular, transformational. John's Gospel is up close and personal about Jesus of Nazareth, and it wasn't just written to give the biography of Jesus. Really, it's an apologetic. John wrote this gospel to persuade people. What did he want to persuade them of? Well, you can see it in John 20, verse 31, where he declares, These things are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name. How does John make the case for the Messiahship and Sonship? of Jesus, of Nazareth. Well, he does it through several ways. One is through the seven miracles. And we know these miracles, that we've been dealing with them thus far, including the turning of the water into wine at Cana, the healing of the nobleman's son, the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, the feeding of the 5,000, as well as walking on the water. And there will be more to come. Be sure of that. But nevertheless, how else does he do it? He talks about the five witnesses at the latter part of chapter 5. Also in John's Gospel, he has the I Am statements. I Am is the divine name, namely I Am who I Am. I Am also is, as it were, the leader or lead up to the discourses of Christ. And one of them, one of his famous ones, is found here in John 6. I am the bread of life. We're going to learn more about this in a moment. In fact, let me read to you from verses 34 and 35, because the bread of life will be dealing with John 6, verses 32 to 40. I want to read to you verse 34 and 35 now. It says, Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. That is a remarkable claim. Now, if Jesus was mistaken, it's audacious in his deception. If Jesus is telling the gospel truth, then of course it behooves us to come to him. It behooves us to obey him, and it behooves us to let others know that the bread of life is available for their hungry soul. 
So in this particular lesson called The Bread of Life from John 6, 32 to 40, we're going to learn about Christ, first of all, being what is called the true bread of heaven. Well, the, the discussion is that God gave his people manna from heaven. And this manna, of course, sustained them in the wilderness during the 40 years, not just one serving, of course, they had to have it on a daily basis. But when you eat of the real bread from heaven, remember the manna came from heaven, Christ came from heaven. But unlike the manna, when you eat of this bread, you will no longer hunger and you will no longer thirst. And furthermore, neither will you die. Not in the true sense of that word. Yes, there may be, as it were, physical death. In fact, that's almost a given before Christ returns. But real death isn't the cessation of breathing and heartbeat. Real death is separation from God, who is the source of life. Coming to the bread of life is coming to the bread of God himself, as we will learn. The Galileans are asking Jesus to give them this bread from God. And he says, well, look, no further than me. I am the bread of life. And there is a warning, and we'll learn about that. We'll learn that it's the Heavenly Father who gives this bread. We will learn of the will of the Father. And we will learn, of course, that Jesus, the bread of life, is the source of all nourishment, the source of all blessing, and the source of eternity. It's time to do the complete reading from John six thirty-two to 40. The lesson is called The Bread of Life, and again the reference is John chapter 6, verses 32 to 40. This is the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The reading is from John chapter 6, verses 32 to 40, and our lesson is called The Bread of Life. Well, Jesus is, if anything, multifaceted. I wouldn't know if I'd say multi-purposed. I believe the purpose is singular and that salvation and a kingdom that will have no end, giving life and giving it abundantly, delivering people from the bondage of deception and sin and bringing them into the glorious liberty of God's children, adopted children. All right, John six thirty-two. This is the beginning of the narrative. The true bread of heaven. Jesus 
was engaging in a deep and difficult conversation with skeptics. In the discussion, they brought up the manna in the wilderness, which happened during the time of Moses. Bear in mind, we're talking about people in the first century A.D. The time of Moses was well over a millennia earlier. We don't have the exact dates, of course, but we know it was, oh, 1300 B.C. or shortly after or even a bit before. But we know it's a long time, many, many centuries. But the memories have proven potent and strong. Because after all, Moses was recorded in the scripture. And the words of Moses are there read in the synagogues for Sabbath after Sabbath. And that's not to mention the Holy Spirit keeping the things of scripture alive because, of course, It is the word of God. So Moses was invoked, and Jesus spoke about this. During the time of Moses, Israel received manna from heaven to eat, almost as implying as if it had come from Moses himself. Now Jesus, of course, sets the record straight. It was not Moses, but the heavenly Father that fed them with heavenly manna. Moses' manna was a type of true manna, from heaven. And God the Father provides the edible manna, and God the Father provides the true manna. The edible manna is what Israel ate in the wilderness day after day during their 40 years sojourn. But remember, that manna was powerless to take away their sins or to prevent their physical or spiritual death. But the true manna, on the other hand, is different. It not only takes care of the true hunger, the abiding, shall we say, desire of the soul to connect with God and be right with him. In addition, the true manna leads to everlasting life. And that true manna is no one less than Jesus Christ himself. John six thirty three: the bread of God is not a thing, it's a person, a person who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. As we have learned and will continue to learn, Jesus and his opponents basically are speaking at two different levels and two different languages. It may have been Aramaic, it may have been Hebrew, but they were not on the same wavelength. So Jesus speaks as clearly as he can here. The true bread of God is the person who comes down from heaven and gives life, not just to the individual, but to the entire world. Of course, as born-again believers, we should be able to see, perceive, and understand that he, Jesus is speaking about himself. He is the true bread from heaven. And of course, we're going to learn later that at Holy Communion, we remember his death, giving his body, broken for us for the remission of sins, his shed blood, spilled for us for the remission of sins, And this memorial called Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, is something we do until he comes again. And then the Galileans make a request in John 6, verse 34. Lord, evermore give us this bread. We want this heavenly bread, this bread of God that gives life to the world. Now, first of all, when the Galileans called him Lord the Greek word is curie, K-U-R-I-E, curie. 
which could be translated sir rather than master, because these people did not apparently believe in Jesus. They were skeptics. They were casual inquirers. They were not diligent seekers. So the Galileans, though, never asked him whether you want to translate it Lord or Sir, keep giving them this heavenly bread. In some ways, this request was also a test of Jesus himself. If you are the Christ, the Messiah, keep multiplying the loaves and fishes and give us a life of ease and indulgence as we believe the messianic kingdom involves. So remember, these people had experienced the feeding of the 5,000. They saw the power of God in action. That alone convinced many of them, this is the king we've been waiting for. Let's crown him. But yet at the same time, they were a bit confused about his true identity. And furthermore, they seemed to have a skepticism which is incredible when you consider what they had just experienced, the loaves and the fishes. So they're just saying, look, we want this bread. We want to basically have it on a regular basis. We believe the Messianic kingdom is going to be just too wonderful for words, almost like a holiday park paradise. And so basically you provide the bread and we can take our rest. In John 6.35, Jesus addresses the issue head on. He declares, I am the bread of life. Now, what people asked for in the preceding verse had already been given through Jesus. Whoever comes to him will never have spiritual hunger again. And whoever believes in him will never thirst. In fact, they are going to be given what is called rivers of living water. As we will learn in John 7, verse 38, we are complete in him. Every need is solidly and gloriously met through Christ Jesus. So here we go. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I will take care of your hunger. I will take care of your thirst. What more could you ask for? Well, a few things. Apparently, here's a warning in John 6, 36, because... Remember the principle that Christ himself enunciated. To whom much is given, much is required. These people who now talk with Jesus have seen him face to face, and they have tasted of the miracle bread and fish. Yet despite these overt examples of divine power and authority, they still don't believe. This has got to be the eighth wonder of the world. Even if they were present, For the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which we will learn about in John chapter 11, they probably still would not be convinced. And we're talking about people in Galilee who were much more open and much more receptive and much more enthusiastic for the ministry of Jesus than those that lived in Judea. They were as hardened as the stones of the walls of Jerusalem. So the warning is you still don't believe. And there are dire consequences for not accepting the grace of God and the gospel that it represents. John 6, verse 37, the Father gives. Jesus speaks of God's power and sovereignty. All who God gives to Christ will follow him. Anyone who comes to Christ will not be driven away. You are safe when you are in God's hands and when you accept a move in his direction. He will not cast you away as you approach him. 
the principle of James chapter 4, verse 8 comes to play. As you draw closer to God, God will draw closer to you. That's how it should be, and that's, frankly, how it is. And then we learn about God's will. John six thirty-eight. What is the will of God? Jesus alludes to his divinity by saying that he personally came down from heaven. No normal mortal has come down from heaven. The only one that could come down from heaven is God himself. Now, by the way, even the Old Testament implies that God will come down to earth. In the Psalms, it says the Lord is coming, personally coming, and that he's coming to judge the earth. And of course, let us not forget in Zechariah 14, the last chapter of that great end time prophetic book, that not only is the Lord going to gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem, but the Lord will personally come down and fight against those nations. Back to Jesus here in John six thirty-eight. His visit to earth was not for the sake of doing his own will. On the contrary, it was to do the will of him who sent Christ. Who is the one that sent Christ? That's namely the Heavenly Father. Jesus is a perfect leader, but of course he's more than a leader, friends. Jesus is Lord. So whether you call him leader and Lord, he's perfect for one of these reasons. And the reason is he's a perfect leader because he's a perfect follower of the will of God. And what is the Father's will? John six thirty nine. Everyone who the Father gives to Christ should not be lost. As a perfect Savior, this goal is assured. All who are sent to Jesus are saved by Jesus. He will raise up such a one on the last day. Their salvation and their place in the first resurrection is guaranteed. And as we learn, friends, the first resurrection is something we do everything in our power to be part of. 6, verse 40, final verse for this lesson. Once again, again, what is the will of the Father who sent the Son to earth? That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have everlasting life. What are the key words? See and believe. The promise to such is that Christ will raise him up on the last day. Now our lesson is called the bread of life. And our lesson for life is this. Christ, the bread of life, will nourish all who partake of him unto eternal life and the resurrection from the dead. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.